Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone trying to find us, we're out there on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can also find me uh, on Instagram at Justin Bizarro, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. I know people have asked for some of that. I am just figuring out TikTok, guys. I can like I can only handle like one social media at a time. I'm a little bit old. And uh, being in my early 40s, it just seems like a social medium. So TikTok, I'm at Justin Ryan Bizarro, but I don't use the account very much. I think I have one post so far, but I am working on it. That being said, I have with us today, Amanda Pumphrey of Pumphrey and Beard Coffee Company. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So Amanda, let's talk about your story. Like, how did you become a coffee entrepreneur? Um, what was your journey like, and and how did you end up where we're sort of taking a snapshot of your life right now? Yeah. Oh man. So um, I landed a job with Whole Foods a really long time ago, and um, I wanted to get out of the prep foods department. Um, and I I applied for a job in what's called the specialty department. Um, being like their coffee and tea buyer and running a gelato bar, bar and coffee bar. And, um, that kind of kicked it all off for me. Um, as far as going down the rabbit hole and learning, um, as I like moved up and on with the company, I moved away from doing that essentially. Um, but I knew once we moved to Tennessee that I really, I really wanted to, not work with Whole Foods long term anymore and get back to coffee. And um, anyways, um, Bezos bought uh, Whole Foods. And when that happened, um, it was kind of my cue to exit just based on how the business was kind of gutted, in my opinion. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I would not agreement on that one. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of plotted and planned my escape. And then I started off as a food truck. Um, and I was mobile roasting out of my food truck and baristing and my food truck kept breaking down, uh, over and over again. And I was picking up shifts at a brewery called little Harpeth brewery bartending. And, um, he kind of knew what my background was and he was like, pull all of your equipment out, sell the truck. I'll let you live here rent free. If you run my bar, um, and help me with some other things around here. And, um, that was kind of amazing. And I did that until the tornado hit it. <laughs> uh, we had a really big tornado come Jeez. through, um, about two weeks before COVID hit. Wow. And, in Nashville. Uh, yeah, I think it was like an F3. Um, but so we, we were doing that there and then the tornado hit it. And then two weeks later, COVID, um, was like in full swing and everything shut down. Um, so we started doing dock sales at the brewery and, um, we started doing farmer's markets because, um, they didn't shut the farmer's markets down. So um, I signed up for as many farmer's markets as possible, and I was selling whole bean coffee and cold brew and uh, just trying to figure out what my next move was. And we had planned to open a satellite store in Dixon, and um, 
so we did that and we pivoted. Dixon was one of the counties that stayed open a bit more than Davidson County did. And the restrictions weren't as uh, strict. And um, honestly, it was everything. We did an insane amount of money in less than 200 square feet in six months. And um, it was either time for me to be like, be content with that or kind of pivot. And uh, there's a space uh, right down the street where I am now at 134 North Main Street in Dixon um, that became available. And we decided that we were going to do a full kitchen build out. And uh, we, we did that in less than 90 days, which was crazy. It's the first time I've ever done a commercial build out, much less on such a you know tight timeline. That's so cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And then um, we we were literally like going through inspection the day before we opened, like towards six or seven p.m. Um, all of our final inspections to open, and we opened on June twenty sixth in that location. And uh, we opened up uh, not only serving fresh roasted coffee and baristing and offering people that stuff, but we started offering breakfast and brunch and lunch. So. That is that is kind of the journey. Um, since then, we have um, added dinner and applied for our liquor license and are now doing like craft cocktails and uh, serving a dinner menu Thursdays through Sundays. Well, so it's kind of incredible, right? There's the food truck. Like, talk to me about the food truck experience. Let's go back and sort of break yeah. off the pieces of your story into fragments. And... In those fragments, let's sort of discuss like the journey and the hardships. I I can't imagine like the 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 truck constantly breaking down. Like, let's talk about this. Like, one, how did you find the truck? You sort of got into coffee, I believe, in the truck. And so, like, what was that like? How long did this go on for? Yeah. So um, I bought the truck in May off the side of the road. <laughs> Um, which if you live in Tennessee, it's like really common to see things parked on the side of the road for sale. And I've got a really terrible habit of just, you know, seeing something and being like, okay. And I, we ended up buying it and, um, I drove it home that day. Um, it was terrifying because like nothing worked correctly in it. <laughs> and then, um, it just, it just got to the point with it breaking down to where it, it was, I was literally using my insurance at one point we had like, um, a really nice AAA insurance. Um, and I was towing myself from one event to the other. <laughs> I, I don't think you're the only one who's ever done that, but I love that. I love it. <laughs> but um it like it took a screwdriver to like bridge the oh, spark man. to start it at one point and then I took it to a mechanic who was supposed to fix it and um they they weren't on the up and up and they didn't fix it well and then I took it to another mechanic and I was kind of burning through my savings trying to fix it and um I also wasn't having like a ton of success as a mobile roaster baristing and a food truck, I would sit at events or, you know, um, places where you could park them and just 
my husband reminds me of this all the time. He's like, do you remember when you used to sit in the food truck, Amanda, and not make any money for weeks on end? And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, just when I like get discouraged about things in the restaurant now, or I'm like, why aren't people liking this? Or what can I do better? And he, like, reminds me that, like, I spent the better part of six months, <clears throat> you know, sitting there not doing anything. <laughs> So, um, it was, it was just kind of everything telling me it was time to pivot. I really had my heart set on a business model where I had no overhead and, um, that is just not where the universe was taking me. And I really fought it for a minute, but kind of the moment I relinquished that and started letting the business take me where the business wanted to take me, the business started being successful. I want to comment on this because I mentor or coach a lot of people. And um, one of the things that happens in this moment is it's often the thing that actually is going to do your excellence. So if someone comes to me and they're like, I don't have any money, I'm like, well, don't go get any. They're like, what? I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the moment that you need to embrace. This is the part that makes your business good. You need to figure this out uh, as long as you don't go under. But in your case, I think it was a good moment because what you were trying to avoid was having the overhead, but and actually the overhead is what has led you to your business. And yeah, and it's oh, and I find that in the entrepreneurial experience, like holistically, just for me as well. Like, okay, like I don't want any employees. I hear this all the time. I'm like, well, then it sounds to me like you need to get some employees because until you get over that, your business is never going to boom because you can't do business without employees. It's things like that that we have. But we do it as entrepreneurs. I did. I've done it myself. Like I, I've said the employee comment. I've said whatever. I embrace things differently. Twenty four years later, but when I was young and I was in a different mindset, I was there with you. Where I'm like, I don't know what to do. But I agree with you. It was time to pivot. And I think that the fact that you didn't just give up on your business and you just pivoted, like it's not. It doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to be a business person or an entrepreneur. It just means that this might not be the right model for me. Um, so man, tell me about like how this, how do you decide to finally pivot? How do you decide it's finally time to sell the food truck? I know you had the offer, but how did you make that relationship? I guess, because it's a very trusting relationship to bring someone in and you talked about working because the food truck was breaking down and maybe not making as much money as you'd like. So talk to me about how you came to this decision because you have a food truck and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go back to work. You go back to work (laughs) and it's just like a very, a lot of humility that happens, right? So what is that like? So when I had the food truck and it was breaking all the time, that is when I started picking up bartending shifts at Little Harpeth Brewery, Um, like as many shifts as I could get to try to fix it. And I was just dumping every red cent that I made there into it. Um, And it, it was just one of those things where it became like at the time that this was happening, I was already starting to ramp up on my farmer's markets and I cut them and just decided to do booths. So at first we were doing it with a food truck. So then I was like, okay, I'm just going to set up a booth so that I can fulfill my obligation and my commitment that I signed up for. Because when you sign up for them, there's a lot of paperwork and it's a whole process. And like some of them, you're lucky to even get on. There's usually a wait list. Um, So I, 
I just at one point had pulled everything out and the food truck was just sitting there and it was really hard because um, it was a it was something that like we had done ourselves from scratch, um, you know, every single part of it, like cutting out the window and, you know, we had like someone come in and weld tables and then the electric and just the whole nine yards. So it was really hard to sit there and look at this empty shell of a thing that was supposed to be my office essentially that is now just dead in the water. But, um, I think I lucked out because I had um, a bunch of entrepreneurs that um, I started the farmer's markets with that uh, we were all kind of going through it together and struggling together and um, struggling through it through COVID. And, um, you know, the guys at at Little Harpeth that I worked with, um, one of them was an accountant and um, he's the one that was like, pull all of your equity out of it. That's your business. He's like, the truck's not your business. When you, when you get down to, you know, it's great advice. Yeah. And he's like, get rid of the shell. So once I gutted it and I pulled everything out of it and I sold it just as a cell of shell of a food truck that needed to be fixed up, it was really easy. And then the money that I made off of it was like, finally a nest egg essentially i was able to go purchase like as much coffee as i needed to get through the next season and um just kind of really set me up for success when covid hit really hard to you know keep things moving for me because shipping stopped and all kinds of things it was like really i felt like almost like there was a someone else on a higher power involved because it was like I had yeah, placed all these orders and all these things had come in and then it was like the world shut down, but I had everything I needed to continue on. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that have sort of done the right thing or chosen the right path or um, and it becomes how do we pivot from these moments? And when we do sort of, we were set up as entrepreneurs, those of us who embrace the hardship and embrace things, we were able to get through COVID differently. And so talk to me about why you said that you were set up perfectly for COVID. What are cer- certain things that you had advantages of that because life, when you thought you were having a bad day, you were really having a good day, I would say. Yes. And explain that to me a little bit or the audience. So um, when I say that we were set up perfectly for COVID, I just happened to put in like all my big orders for packaging and coffee and all those things before um, shipping delays started happening, um, which kind of gave me a head start with where I needed to be. And then I was small enough that I was ordering from retailers uh, for packaging and cups later on that were U.S. based, um, which helped out a lot. If you're getting anything from China at that point, it was taking, you know, sometimes triple the time to get those things to you. But um, where we happen to live geographically, um, they just took kind of a different approach or I could say a more lenient approach to some of the COVID rules and regulations. And um, they deemed anything in food service as um, 
oh, what was the term? Um, if you are in food service, you're, oh, essential. So technically, um, every, everything I was doing was deemed essential. So it allowed me to sign up for local farmer's markets. And um, then eventually when we opened the little satellite, be full-fledged open as um, somewhere that was serving uh, coffee and like pastries and things like that. So it's, it's just one of those things where everything kind of happened the way it should have. And when a lot of people were saying no and being kind of fearful, um, I started saying yes to everything that was offered to me. And then I happened to have like a really nice core following of customers from some of the markets that I did that um, were in Davidson County and couldn't travel that I started doing home deliveries on Wednesdays. I spent pretty much from the moment I got up until about 6 p.m. every evening doing deliveries for coffee and cold brew to people's doors, even though it was not cost effective at all. <laughs> so it, I just really took every opportunity that was given to me um, during the pandemic and just kept at it, even if it wasn't financially beneficial sometimes just to keep doing kind of what I love to do. I want to talk about what you just said, which is saying yes to everything. I'm going to refer to a book for everyone just because I think it's important to anchor stuff and I'm trying to get better at this because <clears throat> everyone's asking me to use more of the fact and some of the education to anchor some of the points. And so I'm going to anchor this one. There's a book by Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons uh, formed Def Jam Records for anyone who wants to know. He's also the brother of Rev Run from Rum DMC. But Def Jam Records spun off into Island Records and a thousand other things. And then I think it sold for over three, four hundred million dollars in the late 90s or early 2000s or something. Either way, he wrote a book called Super Rich. He also has a book called Success Through Stillness. Both are great books. I've read both of them. Um, but I read Super Rich when I was probably, whenever the book came out, so maybe 28 years old, so 2008, somewhere around there, 2009. And one of the things it said in there was, there's a story in there about the guy who who has literally sculpted the biggest Buddhas on the planet, stone ones, I think the one in Thailand, maybe in, in Phuket, but I'm not positive. And one of the things that he did is he said yes, and he gave it away at first, and he did more than anyone else. And he went from an, a, a peddler and an artist to one of the most seeked-out sculptors of any size. We're talking size here. Think about the project size. It's not just building a sculpture. It's like painting you know, the Vatican. It's going to take years. It's going to take lots of students and help and paint and mix. In this case, it's stone. So... I'm never going to tell the story properly because uh, like I can hear it in my head properly, but say it out outwardly. I'm going to just go to the point that really means something is that when he said yes, and when he was willing to give it away and do more and, and offer his services when everyone else would say no, it gave him a brand. It gave him the ability that when life changed or when countries had money to build statues that he was the guy to go to. And the book probably gives more clarity to this. And maybe I've messed up pieces of the story. I'm not positive. But the point being, he said yes. And he did it in a way that was beneficial to his business when no one else was because they were living in fear or 
they wanted the money up front or they didn't trust their talent or name a thousand other things. So I think it's an anchor again, that book's called Super Rich. It's called Russell by Russell Simmons. Um, And let me see if I can get the full title here. Just it's Mm -hmm. a super rich, a guide to having it all. And so it's, it looks at things and it's funny, the book's called Super Rich, but it's not talking about making money. It's talking about how the money was just trophies. And we talk about this a lot in this podcast and I'm, he doesn't use the word trophies. I do. And that he worked hard and he did the right thing. He did the right thing for his artists. He did the right thing for his brother. He did the right thing for Beastie Boys, who he crossed racial boundaries in rap music that no one else was willing to. And he saw it as like unity. Okay. And look at the brand he built. Look at the wealth that he had, if you want to talk about monetary, but really his wealth and the point of his book. And even in his relationships that have come and gone, he's very strong in him. Ex-wife, raising kids, like it talks about all those things, but that comes from being super rich on the inside, which is your ability to sort of pivot like we've just talked about with Amanda, which is life happens for us. It's not the end. The truck was just a pivoting point, but there's parts of the truck that she literally, and this is a tangible lesson that we can make intangible is the things she learned from the truck she was able to physically take with her and leave behind the things that didn't work. Yeah, for sure. And so let's talk about like some of the lessons that you have, like in, you know, that as an entrepreneur that you felt you got during both the COVID years and the food truck years, like core values that have changed you as a human. Um, I noticed, so I am a bit older than a lot of the entrepreneurs that I work with, um, but not as old as some. So I am one of those people that is like not, I'm technically a millennial, but I'm so close to being a Gen Xer that I I really don't identify with a lot of like the millennial core values, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm definitely like a latchkey kid. I grew up on my own and all of that. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. So I found that like when I was saying yes to people and like going to their homes and doing things that didn't benefit me, I worked with other people that were struggling and were asking, you know, what are you doing right that it's working for you? And I would tell them and they would talk about me valuing my time and, you know, setting boundaries and things like that, which are really valid when you get to a different part of your business. But um, at that point, I think that's really kind of what set me apart from some of the people that I was working with was that um, no task was too menial and no, no like exercise you could say or like that a customer wanted me to do was was too far um i i still have a really bad habit of um my my staff gets on me a lot of signing us up to do things that we have no time to do because i i just see it as an opportunity and it'll work out and we'll figure out how to make it happen when we get there and they, you know, I work with a lot of people who are planners now and they're, it's like soul crushing for them. <laughs> but, um, that's, I think that's one of the, the things that is really important when you're a young business. And when I was in that phase, it, 
it really stuck with me that like you got to pound the pavement you got to work hard you got to work long hours and there's going to be no financial gain that's what i took away from those years yeah that's true and <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna make some points here one is you let go of the short-term outcome okay and that's one of the differences between you know, I'm not saying cell, cell phones are the most powerful things ever, okay? And I'm not saying we shouldn't get rid of them. And I absolutely, they can lead to attention span problems. But from a business owner, entrepreneur standpoint, there's no valuable piece of thing that I have. I do all my emails. I do all my communicating. I even do the podcast through it now if it's used properly. But part of the problem is, is there are distractions. There's 10 million things on it, games, and everyone loses track of anything, which is part of the millennial thing that we're talking about. And... It's part of the not being able to show up. It's also part of um, wanting instant gratification, which is when, which is the opposite of what you're saying. And yeah. here's why I'm going to say this: when we let go of the short-term outcome and we invest in the benefit of others, which is what you were doing, you were trying to benefit yourself, but mostly it benefited everyone else in the short run, for sure. That's just the, that's the nature of being an entrepreneur. I think at the beginning. But what happens is over time is we're banking, we're paying it forward, we're putting money into the future, we're putting karma into the universe, we're letting God know that we're starting to align our plan with his plan, which is taking care of other humans, which is allowing other humans to have their dreams, which is allowing other humans to have the freedom to raise their families and the values and the morals and ethics that they want, right? And so, or however they want, like the freedom to do that and align themselves with God on their own is what the entrepreneur goal is. That's growth and then helping animals and the communities and all that. So that, that being said, you've let go of the instant gratification. You're like, I'm doing this because I believe in everyone. And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do what I love, which is mostly as entrepreneurs, we love benefiting other people. It's very hard for most of us to step back the really good ones to step back and figure out how to make money sometimes. That's a true statement. How do we actually make more money doing our business? And it takes us a while to figure it out. But the gift in that is we actually figure out how to make money without having to go seek it from people, like go sell ourselves. Because in that period of what we're talking about here with Amanda is she was building a reputation, a character where people wanted to do business with her regardless of the business she had. You know, and the business just backed up her character, not the other way around. Okay. I think that that's important from it. The other one I want to say is the boundaries thing. I think that it's a generational thing. I think like some general, like everyone has boundary problems, but the weird thing with cell phones and like giving away cell phone numbers, like I am still hesitant to give away my phone number. I mean, it's on things now, like it's plastered on social media. But it's still like if I meet someone, even though it's there, like they could get it publicly, I'm still like, you know, giving away phone numbers like a private thing where now it's like Instagram's traded and phone numbers are traded like they're nothing. And I guess maybe it's because we don't have the gatekeepers like our parents or our family members going through our phones like as we're kids and dating and stuff. We can just give away phone numbers. Maybe that's why. Or maybe we're just (laughs) less protected of it. I don't know. But I think that the boundary thing is important, especially in business, because when we are generous and we are giving, sometimes what happens is people can try to take advantage of us. Well, actually, I wouldn't say try to. They do in some ways because we don't always catch it. And um, and I'm a living example of that in so many ways. And so 
I just think that that's part of the boundaries. And I agree with you, hanging around older generations of people, like really open your eyes. And I've benefited from this and being in the long-term care homes and the, and the hospitals doing hospital food and just asking questions because I'm a curious person to begin with. And so I think that that's important as well that you talked about the boundaries. And then lastly, I want to talk about what you said is pushing the planners and taking all the business you have. This is what I know, okay? You, there should always be uncomfortability in your life as an entrepreneur and in your business. And there should always be someone in, in your circles pushing you to do better and pushing your business to go further in a healthy way. And this is healthy business, healthy opportunity. Everyone wins. And the entrepreneur that I see in you, Amanda, is very similar to me. It's very much like I know we have this infrastructure. I know we have the people the humans. I know we ha- we've done this enough times and have enough experience that we can go do this and we can win. And and by winning, I mean even if there's losses along the way, we're going to learn and do it better next time. But if I get used to this rapid fire, you guys are going to be the best rapid fire taking everything you can business that there is. And that's a niche. That's what people don't understand. There's niches in taking things. There's niches in pushing yourself harder. And there's way more money when you push yourself harder and into blue oceans. When someone's like, oh my gosh, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm like, oh, we're going that way. Why? Opportunity. Because that's the truth. Forget about comfortability level. Us, everyone as humans, we we pendulum swing and trends swing and, and everything swings. So where everyone else goes, you can guarantee that everyone else will eventually go the other direction. So when someone tells us not to do something, that's often opportunity. Well, if you doubt it, the opportunity is now to prove you wrong or to prove that I can do it or to prove whatever. And that in and of itself is a story which lends to the character, which lends to my brand and my business. So Yeah. <laughs> That was long-winded. Sorry. Um, oh, no, you're good. <laughs> it's a lot to get out of my brain sometimes. And um, the the thing I like about what happens here is the consistency. So let's talk about how you build relationships. Like how do you build relationships with your, your clients, your customers, um, yeah. the planners, uh, your vendors, and your team members or employees? Um and let's talk about, you do have overhead now, so we can talk about that eventually, but let's oh, yeah. <laughs> get into the relationship building process first. Yeah. Um, which relationships do you want to know about first? <laughs> let's start with the planners, because I always find yeah. that everyone, like that's, they're, they're under a tight budget and they're the ones dealing with the clients sometimes, so you're almost a subcontractor. So let's start there. Yeah, so I have had quite a few people come and go in my life in the past couple of years and not in a bad way, just, uh, um, you know, some people alternate in and then alternate out naturally. But, um, I, it's funny because I am very kind of chaotic. I wake up every day, like it's a new day sometimes. And I think that's to help like delegate my stress level. But, um, I also think that, um, it's because I know that I've always put somebody in my life that is a planner, so to speak. So um, I generally have what we call our Bible, which is a planning book um, at work. And um, I, I've been tasked by the other people that I work with to write down I love this. what I commit to. I love this. <laughs> and so... Um, <laughs> which <laughs> I didn't today. <laughs> so that's on me. 
Um, so I write those things down and then typically we sit down um, at a week at a time and we we try to plan those things. But what I was talking about with people being in my life for kind of a season is it has really been soul crushing for some people that I have worked with that they they are such planners and they almost like outline the entire thing that we're supposed to do. And they get very upset because I don't pay a lot of attention to it. And then we go in and we execute and it's fine. And say we missed four bullets out of their outline and I'm not stressed out about it. And they're like hyper focusing on it. And I'm like, the event was so successful. Everything was amazing. But like emotionally, I just kind of cut my losses, you know, and it's not the end of the world, but the person that I'm working with that is the planner, you know, is very much like mulling over it and stewing and like hyper-focusing on the fact that those four things didn't get done. And um, it's caused a lot of people to, you know, move on to a different structured environment. And I have found that there's kind of two ways of like working and thinking and there are people who truly want to work in a small business with an entrepreneur and can kind of go with the flow and then there's people that really need to be in a corporate environment and have things kind of laid out for them and that's what makes their brain happy and that's what makes their day feel fulfilled and um you know and i i try to coax those people out of corporate all the time but <laughs> I, I don't know that it's for all of them, but um, that is kind of uh, when I was in the food truck and um, at the farmer's markets, I had people that would come in and they'd be like, let's make your website better. Let's plan this. Let's do this. And um, none of those things I felt were really worth my time until I had a viable business. And I feel like sometimes we get really hung up on, making it look pretty on paper and on the internet before it's a real thing. So. I 100% agree with you actually. And I've been finding this recently also because people are like, when are you going to put your website up? I'm like, right now, I can't even handle the business that I have going on and the noob stuff I'm starting. So why a website? Like, what is that going to do for me? And I yeah. think that that's exactly the point right there. It's like, I'm just... I'm just at a point and it's the same for you. And I think I'm going to talk about this actually. It's so interesting to me in the world that we have a phone in our hand that is actually not, not perfect. How many updates does our phone have to do on a regular basis? Like that means the software's broken, flawed. They missed some bullet points. Okay. Just so we're aware. I will also say this in my experience, like we did hospital food for 24 years. We never missed a delivery, okay? In 24 years, every night, all the hospitals, no matter earthquakes, New York City underwater, hurricanes, didn't matter. We got the food to the hospitals every night for lunch, dinner the next day, and breakfast the following day, usually. That's the way the rotation worked and the long-term care homes. And we did it just in time and because we wanted scratch cooking and freshness and the nutrients and stuff going right into the food and then right into the patients who were compromised. One of the things that I will say, though, is in order to do that, like there are certain things that matter and you hit the timeline, you hit the diet, you hit your food code, you hit 
keeping people healthy, you keep, you know, making sure bad stuff doesn't spread or hurt the patients or there's bones in the food in this case, in my case, in the hospital, so no one chokes. And then at which point, like you're juggling, okay? If something goes wrong and you need to fix it and the truck's 10 minutes late and all of a sudden you're now 10 minutes late to every venue, that's going to happen and you're going to have to adjust, okay? That's just stuff. And I don't hit every bullet point every time, but the main goal was everyone gets their food, the food is healthy, the food is doing what it says, it's not gonna be compromised in any sort of foodborne illness way or in you know, someone trying to attack it because everyone worried about that as well as people attacking our food sources. I would say that they are, they're just not putting poison in our food. They're just using their methods to change the way our food supply chain works. Hmm. And, um, and so we can see it with eggs right now. And the, um, even though there's plenty of chickens and eggs and I get avian flu, but there's still eggs and the grocery stores charging three times as much and the farmers still getting paid the same price for eggs is not an egg problem, guys. I'm just going to lay that out just because uh, I needed to. Um, but software improves constantly and in our hand we do it. And so it's the same as an entrepreneur. Not every event's going to go well. And and as a planner or as anyone, I will tell you that the more stressed I get and the more I show that things aren't going well or I or I get upset about it, the harder it is to work with those individuals. Because think about this. I'm going to just say this. In food, we have more variables than any other point. And yet we're the lowest on the totem pole. We get paid the least amount of money. We do most of the work okay, to make sure all the events are okay, okay, I get it, there's planning and coordinating, but there's no more moving pieces than there is in food, and that's the part, like the planning, they're bringing it in, what happens if you have to exchange an ingredient, so I'm not saying one's harder than the other, I'm just saying that the most, the important part and the flexibility has to be in the time, okay, so if, like, for example, today, I block two hours for every podcast interview. Why? Because there's entrepreneurs, we have pivoting, we have scheduling. And guess what? If I don't have, if someone doesn't show up for that two hours, I don't go fill it with another podcast or try to stuff something in there. It's now free time to do spontaneous things to catch up on the things that I need to. But if I were so regimented, I would try to fill that space with more crap. Like, oh, maybe I'll get ahead and I'll just fill it with more crap. No, 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 no. That's bad news because I have to be aware that spontaneity is going to happen. If I fill the space every day and I don't leave space behind, oh, we finished the podcast an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, I'm going to go fill the space 45 minutes. And But that doesn't mean I'm not getting stuff done. It's stuff that I can get done and all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm in the middle of an email. I can walk away from it and do something else. Okay, or the entrepreneur decides that they're going to be late for the podcast. They hop on. I can just walk away from it. Okay, it's but it's it's that kind of strategy that leads to things. And I can tell you from being in the in the planning and the catering and all that, scheduling is important. But you'll also the people that work for you, um, the employees or the team members. If it's too regimented and they can't have failure or feel like it's okay to have failure, they're not long-term employees to you either. And I just want to point that out because I know a lot of it, people plan and there's rotation of employees, but if you're too hard and you don't allow flexibility in where they're able to make a mistake and it's okay, or you don't hit everything, but you're still able to say, hey, well, we didn't have a 3-0 game. It was 3-2, to two, but we still won. 
then that's the that then you're going to have employees in the long run because they know that life is about making mistakes and learning and sometimes we have bad days and good days but it translates into our relationships and and kindness i'm not saying get taken advantage of but i am saying hey um regimented is good but from my experience money is made in and happiness is made in time blocking and having flexibility and realizing that a plan is just a plan it's not something to follow in detail because if we followed every plan in detail in a military example we would be dead if i followed the exact plan during the hurricane to put hot food into the hospitals what the trucks are going to float <laughs> like come on so like if we have to have pivots right we have to be able to have flexibility and understanding and guess what one day we're going to need someone to pivot for us and so like i see it as we're paying into paying forward so um wow um so again like it's about improving uh structured environments are good like i have a very structured environment but to most people they think i have no structure because like I just work in time blocks and I allow the flexibility of others to be something that I'm understanding and, and kind about and because I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Like I'm a secondary focus at this point. Their main focus is is God, family, and their business. You know, a podcast helps the business. Where am I on that? Down below. Can we help spread good values about family and God on the podcast? Sure, but that takes me getting and the entrepreneurs on the podcast and being patient with them while they work it out, okay? So that's where I'm like, it's not, I'm not worried about the same things and I've learned that flexibility is actually a really good tool. Um, That's not with getting paid, but that is with, in terms of service and kindness. Um, Amanda, I went on on a long Oh no, you're fine. (laughs) So what Um, is it like now? What do you enjoy the most about your job? a job being an entrepreneur um and what is the thing that you enjoy the least um i would say the thing i enjoy the least is kind of the saying more money more problems um so you know i'm i'm doing monetarily bigger things now right but it comes with bigger bills and bigger problems that equal that that's one of the things i dislike the least um I just like having to have a labor budget um, because what you need versus what you can afford are never the same thing. Um, and then some of the things that I really enjoy now um, is I really enjoy my team. I never thought I would have, uh, sometimes we have 22 team members, sometimes I have 14. Uh, it just depends who's at college and who's home. Um, and I really enjoy, um, I've had one, one um, person that has been with me since they were 16 and now is my lead barista. And it's been so amazing just to see that person grow. And then like my entire dinner service right now is being run by a 19 year old who's extremely passionate about food. And that is just so exciting to see how i have a teenager yes. and he's not passionate about anything <laughs> hell yes this is why we do what we do and there's like this is the purpose like guys like what she's talking about right here is giving and as an entrepreneur we give opportunity to other people to shine and grow into truly who they are 
and our own kids too. It usually just takes a little bit longer because they see us do it and we have years of experience and it looks easy because we've done it for so long. Um, but the reality is, is I agree that it's really cool. So talk to me about um, your relationship with them and, and how you enjoy this because I think yeah. it's so important. How are you building relationships with your employees or your team members? Um, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so right now, as far as where the business is, um, I'm pretty much there almost seven days a week. Um, still, I'm definitely not like a, a, a owner that sits at home and you only hear from me when it's, you know, bad or good or I don't know, just occasionally. I've worked at places like that. But um, right now we're building our evening crowd and we're building our bar. And I don't feel good about bringing anyone on as a bartender at the moment because I don't think it's worth their time. So Thursdays through Sundays, pretty much from the moment we're allowed to serve liquor till the moment we close, I'm there bartending. So it gives me a really big opportunity to be with them and to like, you know, talk about, you know, maybe some of the things they're trying to, to do. Um, I'm, I'm really fond of in the back of the house. Um, we have a rule that if we have an ingredient, we have to be able to use it three ways. And then every Sunday we sit down and we look at what we have left over from dinner service and we figure out creatively what we can do with it so that we don't have to shrink it out. I find that really stimulating and fun. Um, I don't think they do, but um, I do. Um, I, I really, I really love when there's no waste and we can be like, yeah, let's make, a vegetable soup with all these leftover things or oh we you know have all the things left over to make a chili or let's run pork chops as a special in the morning time a couple days a week to move through what we have left or you know we have leftover chicken why don't we make a batch of chicken salad you know something like that to to help us move through products i find that really fun and then front of the house it's watching everybody kind of find coffee in their own way um i uh serve coffee a little bit differently than a lot of the places around me um so if you're getting one shot in your 12 ounce we're doing two if you're getting two shots in your 16 ounce we do four our large americano has six like i really tried to model some of my recipes off of what you would see standard in europe and um our coffee tastes like coffee and we do less yes. coffee <laughs> i love this because i'm sorry to interrupt but i agree okay. with you 100 percent and we water down our coffee so bad here. Like you need well, multiple wa- multiple ones, but that's just the way we drink coffee all day long where it's not just a one and done thing. So yeah, there's a, there, there's, there's two reasons that our coffee is the way it is in the country that we live in. Um, one is the industrial food revolution knocked us all back. You stopped seeing people that were makers and doers and you started seeing big corporations that were mass producing and it had to do with like, you know, women leaving the home and entering the workforce and all these different things. We're going to be friends. I can tell you right now. (laughs) Let's keep going. (laughs) And then the second is when you get into big corporate industry, um, 
the bottom line on a cup of coffee is relatively small. A lot of people, I don't think they realize that, but, um, you know, corporations have figured out how to get that extra money out of it, A, out of being able to spend millions of dollars to buy packaging and things so that they can get it down to like, you know, five cents a piece and things like that, but also by skimping on putting actual coffee in coffee. I have a lot of people that will debate with me what my price of a 12 ounce latte is. And then when I, I asked them, I said, well, what would you spend at a Starbucks on a 12 ounce latte? And their response to me is you're not a Starbucks. And I said, but I'm giving you a better quality product and I'm giving you more product. And I said, and you still want to you still want to complain that my price, which is lower than Starbucks, is still too much. And they're like, but you live in a small town and you're a small town business. And I'm like, you're, you're not understanding on a very fundamental level how, how, how costing works. Um. <laughs> well, and you're not understanding the, the, that the volume thing here. Like, where were you in math class? Or maybe they don't teach this stuff anymore in school. I have they no don't. idea. <laughs> they really don't. I again, I have a teenager, and the things that they're not teaching in school is just a little bit scary. Um, but I, I constantly have to defend myself in that manner. But um, it's, it's just one of those things where you know I've decided to just keep doing me. Like we experienced in the coffee community, we've been dealing with um, dairy hikes. Essentially, dairy went up eight percent this year. Yeah. And then yeah. they added a gas tax, which they're never going to take away now that they know they can add it. Exactly. So whether everybody on the street I have a business on is getting dairy or not, we're all getting charged $65 for a delivery fee on top of an 8% increase. And I sat down and costed it all out the other day. And I actually called my dairy supplier and I, I was like, let me pay off the rest of my bill. This is it for us. And they were like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, for eleven ninety nine a month, I can sign up for free delivery service with Walmart, and they are almost a dollar twenty five cheaper on every gallon of milk that you sell to us, and I can have it within two hours, as fresh as I need it, as often as I need it, and overall every week I'll be saving like something like three hundred dollars. And I was like, "Can you guys do any better than that?" And they were like, no. And I was like, well, that might be something to think about because I'm still small enough that I can get away with doing this. You it, know? It's interesting because I've had my issues with Walmart and supplying food there over the years and stuff like that. But I will say one thing about them. They are, they, for, there is a growing consciousness of the American spirit again and American products again within that company. And um, they are trying to help out as much as they can in their communities, even though obviously they come in and they take over. So it's a kind of a contradiction, but I do find the same thing where they are trying to hold the value of the product and they're not trying to gouge the customer like everyone else is. Like I just talked about eggs. The farmers aren't getting that money. The, the This price that we're paying for eggs, that's not going to the farmers, guys. The farmers aren't getting three times the amount 
of egg prices. No, the grocery stores in the middlemen saw that they could make more money and they raised the prices and then we were all willing to pay for it so easily. Then they restricted the supply again, pushed the prices higher. Why? Because if they can push less trucks, they spend less gas at this price and they make way more money at three times the price of eggs, even though the farmer's getting paid the same price because there's a shortage. I'm just yeah. saying. So... <laughs> Like it's, it's just one of those things. It's, yeah, it's really, really tricky. So it's, it, you know, I had to have that honest conversation with my dairy supplier about that. And it was it was not pleasant. And I think they thought I was full of beans. But um, it's it's what it was. And it's, you know, when you have a small business, it's $300 is a lot. That's the difference between having another part-time team member a week or not. Um, in my case. So I, I kind of look at that stuff very heavily and dig through it a lot, but, um, yeah, we, um, I don't remember what the original thought was now. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, I like to tell people we serve coffee, like our, our coffee, um, up front, uh, is, is going to be strong. And I love Cuban coffee. I got to barista down in Florida for quite some time and work with different communities. And I love Cuban coffee. So we offer cafe con leches and cortaditos and cubanos uh, and culadas. And um, people in middle Tennessee generally love really sugary drinks. So <laughs> that's been a big hit here. Um <laughs> That's but, awesome, actually. I love yeah. that. Yeah, so it's just been one of those ways that I could strike out and do something different and still retain doing something that I really love. But um, the business as a whole is its whole own thing. Some days I wake up and I really think to myself, I'm like, okay, this is this is going this direction and I'm just along for the ride. I'm just, I'm just the one that pays the bills and navigates through the rough situations. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm in a 100% agree with you. And there's a song, and I'll say it because I'm at, we're in Nashville. Well, I am. You're you're not. <laughs> excuse me. You're not exactly, but same close enough. But Garth Brooks has this song, and actually he got bounced out. He came to Nashville and actually left, and then became famous by staying in the line dancing bars in Texas. I'm pretty sure that's his story. Just so everyone, he didn't make it big in Nashville. He actually went home. And um, which is his story, like we just talked about the food truck and the next thing. Like, here's a guy, country music star, probably one of the biggest ever. But he got he didn't make it in Nashville. He had to go back to Texas. Just saying. And um, but he has this song. It's called The River. And it's about like the water. Like he's just in charge of the boat. But the river's going the direction it's going to go. And it has its boundaries. And he's just a vessel on the river and he's got to try to steer it but he still only can steer it with where the water's going and within the boundaries that it's given to him and that's sort of life and i probably mess up the song or whatever and i'm constantly losing my voice because i'm talking so much but um <laughs> i just think it's important because you said that it's like we are on this boat and the water it's turbulent there's waterfalls and rapids and and whatever and we don't really have a choice other than to keep the boat intact and make sure it doesn't hit the shoreline too hard you know it's okay if we bump off a boundary here and there or a shoreline but to wreck it into a shoreline would be a disaster and mm -hmm. um 
And that's where it's like life is not actually, we're not actually failing a lot of the time. We're actually growing. And we've, we attach this word failure to it because it's a lot easier for someone who gets stuck in failure or doesn't want to ever take the chance in the first place to say, oh, look, that's a failure. That's why I shouldn't do it. When the person who's actually failing constantly and improving is not looking at it as a failure. That's the difference in the mindset there, guys, is I can tell you I don't look at anything in life as a failure. Yeah. I think that also leans into like the generational thing again. Like, so I personally grew up with just my dad raising me um, at the age of five, my mom split and I was raised pretty much by my dad and my grandparents and like the collective family helped out here and there. But um, you know, when I was at home doing things like there's a lot of failure. And I think, what I've seen in like the the gentleman I was describing earlier generation and things like that is that they really take failure hard where like I probably did the same task as them wrong for like a week before I got it correct and it was just no big deal you just kept doing it wrong until you figured out how to do it right and I I think that's something that shouldn't be lost for sure I I, I see it in my oldest as well. You know, he's like, I don't know how to do it. So why would I try? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Sorry. I just cursed. God, I'm just like, but I'm like, I get it though, because I, um, I've seen it and obviously I've experienced it and I have like two stepchildren from a previous relationship. And so I, I've seen it in one or the other where one's been more motivated in one thing than the other. And it took one, a longer time to find their motivation in life. They're in their mid twenties now. Um, but I will say this, one of the things that did concern me the most is like the acceptance, especially in schools when they didn't need then when they were like, or sports, Oh, I don't want to do that. Or it's too hard. I don't want to learn it. Okay. Well then let's do this. Whoa, 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 whoa. We just, you did what you did what with the child? No, you just, that is not a blanket pass. That's not why I'm sending them to school. I'm sending them to school so they're uncomfortable and they're learning. Like you can't just like only learn the things that you love. Okay, I get that. But there needs to be hardship. Believe me, I got my D minuses and my Cs in art history and and whatever else galore because I just couldn't understand it in languages. So I was a CD student that went to all the extra tutoring and was yeah. happy to get those C's and D's. <laughs> That was me in Spanish class for <laughs> sure. I had so much tutoring. It was just like, oh, in Latin, and I took ancient Greek in high school and like all bad ideas. But whatever. I had this idea. I wanted to read parts of the Bible in ancient Greek, which I were, we were able to do. But it was. Um, That's kind of cool. Yeah. It was. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's one of the hardest things. And it's weird now because like I use drops on. Apple, and I'm just, we'll go on a tangent here for a second, or my commentary is everyone wants me to say. But I found that I it's five minutes a day, speaking of time blocking, and I don't actually need to do it every day. If I miss a day, no big deal. But I find when I have like little bits of time, it's only five minutes. So like I'm like, I learn Italian, and I'm learning Spanish through this Drops app. Like I can switch back and forth. You can do any language. You can switch across all languages if you want it. But it's just stuff like that. It's the constant learning. No, do I suck at it? Yes, I am horrible at accents, languages, like remembering the words in a different language for sure. Like understanding it or someone talking to me is a lot easier. 
but I'm still doing it at 43 years old and I've been doing it for about two years now. And so it's just like, I'm going to get it. It's just going to take a while, but I'm not stopping. And I think that generationally it's hard to see things stack up because the way we do our schooling and our schooling's very semester based. Okay. I got an A in this class. It's over. I don't need to think about algebra one again. And it's like a skill that's stacked and we don't realize it's stacked because we move on to the next thing so much and we're not properly showing like the time, like you just spent 18 years of your life getting educated in something like, what are you going to do with it? And I don't think that we value it the same way. Like it was very much like valued, like, okay, I really did this, but high school is just like, I don't know. It's just different. I think it's different. I think the rewarding system's different. I think the trophy's different, but I think as entrepreneurs, like we have the ability to show reality. And like you said, the 19 year old who's working in your business, like how much responsibility has he already taken on? I mean, right now he is my lead cook. We actually just let uh, the person that was supposed to be there to assist him go because it wasn't beneficial. So he, I mean, I can seat 83 and he's handling the whole dining room. (laughs) So he's, he's taken on quite a bit. He, um, he does all the prep. He's creatively figuring out, like, we had all these recipes we sat down and wrote, right? And then I costed all of them out. And then, you know, as you get into it, you figure out you have to tweak things, right? And he's the one that's in there and is like, oh, we need to add this, not this. Like, um, we have a dish that's kind of like a deconstructed meatloaf, but not. It's It's like in between two genres, in my opinion now. Um, and he took it upon himself to bring in a recipe that was very, you know, kind of sacred to his family and make a really tasty meatball with it. And then, you know, we originally wanted to do like a Yukon puree and have them sit on it with, you know, with like tomatoes and onions spiraled on top. And now it's like in between a mash and a puree because, you know, I just think the clientele that we personally have out here, they didn't quite understand what we were going for. Uh, so we adjusted things like that and he just, he does it really easily and is super happy to do it. So, I mean, I, I'm just more and more surprised by him all the time. That's very (laughs) cool. Like that's someone that'll grow in your business with you, hopefully. Um, and I I hope so too. (laughs) And it's really cool because, I mean, think about, I mean, I'm going to, we'll talk about your relationship with your husband because I think it's important that he reminds you of this, but I mean, really it was, you're talking about spiraling, I don't even, tomatoes and onions on top of a Yukon mash and, and before you were just wanting to do coffee, right? And breakfast pastries, like how many years ago? Like it is kind of mind boggling, right? (laughs) Yes. And you're like not wanting overhead yet. Your overhead is probably your superstar right now, like a diamond in the rough in all sense of the words right now in the world we live in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely some days I wake up and I'm like, you chose this, this is the animal you chose. And, but I never had any intention of owning a restaurant. That was never my intention. Yeah, Uh, It's just, one thing has led to another and I'm curious by nature. So I'm having a lot of fun exploring kind of mixology in the craft cocktail world. And that's very um, cool. Yeah. And, um, it's, 
it's leading me to, you know, a full dinner service and I love to throw a party. So I'm, I'm trying to create like this evening time atmosphere where it's like a cafe all day where people are like in and out, having lunch or brunch, you know, getting a cup of coffee, maybe sitting down doing some work. And then at 4 p.m., we dim the lights and it becomes like a whole vibe in there. And usually someone's playing on the stage and you can get really nice food. We're really uh, passionate about who we get our food from. Um, so we like one of the things I'm the most proud of is we're offering trout out of Bucksnort from a farm out there. And uh, it's rainbow trout. And it's like I call him today he brings it to me tomorrow and like he killed it today, you know? So it's super, super so fresh. fresh. Yes. And, you know, I've tried to really scour everybody's menus in downtown Dixon to make sure that if we have an overlapping category, we don't have the same menu. So like um, the biggest feedback I got, and this was from my uncle and um, I really heard, what he had to say to me he goes my wife would love to come eat there every day he's like but if she wanted me to come there and eat with her what would I eat on the menu and I I was like okay what do you mean by that and he was like you know I've got more simpler tastes I I like these three things and he was like you really should add a burger to the menu He's like, because I would be happy to come eat with her there five days a week if I knew that I could get something like a burger. <clears throat> and so I, I'm on a street that has a place that serves burgers and they do a really fantastic job at it. And I was like, man, what am I going to offer as a burger that they're not already doing and doing well? And so I started thinking to myself, and I have a lot of background in cheese as well. Um, I, I went through the certified cheese professional uh, program to become a CCP. Oh my God, um, you're just stacking skills throughout life. This is pretty incredible. <laughs> so um, I, I was like, all right, let's think about how we can build flavor profile. And I should mention, I don't eat meat. So it's been almost 23 years since I've had meat. I eat fish. That's about it. Um, and so I was thinking to myself, I was like, all right, we get this mixture of ground beef and let's, let's serve, you know, this burger with Gruyere prosciutto and an apple chutney. Yes, it's been done before, but it's not been done out here. And the flavor profile combo on it is fantastic. And like, we're really conscious about like what that bite tastes like to the customer. And I hope that comes across in the food that we serve that like, I have really sat there and like, we have a honey sriracha pork chop, right? I've really sat there and thought to myself, like, what would be you know, the complete bite of that. And I was like, oh, we should add a smoked Gouda mac and cheese because the savory smoky pairing with the honey sriracha is what would mellow it out. If I, you know, if I was taking a little bite of that and stabbing it into my macaroni, that would be the complete bite. And just have more of a complete thought. Um, 
So that's kind of where we landed on the dinner menu. Um, the breakfast menu, I'm, I work with a company called Flower Your Dreams. There's someone I did farmer's markets with. And um, they supply all of our sourdough. So I'm really excited when people come in. And I've had people battle back and forth with me about they can go through Dunkin' Donuts and they can get two pieces of toast, avocado toast, for half the price of what I serve mine for. And I had to, you know, very kindly break it down for them that they're getting a thick cut slice of fresh sourdough with in-house made avo mash topped with more avocado, in-house made pickled onions and locally sourced microgreens and goat cheese. And like, I, I really doubt that you know, Dunkin' Donuts is giving you that experience. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Oh my god, I, 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 I'm so like impressed that you're actually explaining the difference because most people won't do it. They either bend or they just get fed up or they don't take the time to educate the consumers, which is often why their businesses don't do well in the long run. It's not actually that all many restaurants fail. It's just that most the a lot of entrepreneurs or non-entrepreneurs i guess if they don't make it um however that looks an entrepreneur and trying i guess if you continually fail and keep trying you're still an entrepreneur the and like we're, we're only in the beginning phase of what i plan on doing with the business so this is i i got encouraged to sit down and have a complete thought of where my business was going um cool this year uh, yeah. And like, so everything that I just started doing, um, you know, we're, we're going to really work on it over the next two years and hope it'll probably be sooner than two years, just knowing how things work, but until we pivot again. And, um, I'm really excited for what the future looks like for that because it's, it's kind of me getting to get back to coffee a little bit, but also taking, the current business and a totally new direction that Dixon doesn't have yet. Well, so. and I want to talk about this real quick because obviously you mentioned, and I don't know if you've traveled or, or how this influences there, but there's a heavy European, almost South American-esque mm -hmm. influence here, which is the coffee shop during the day, sort of that transition into lunch, like evening service, and then a, a really like dim the lights, we're doing dinner service, we're switching to cocktails. Like even though we were coffee pastries in the morning, we're now full dinner service, late night, mood lighting, people are going to hang out, probably close the restaurant. Like if someone's coming in, they might sit there for four hours. And that's a good thing, guys. I know everyone wants to turn tables. No, 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 no. You want people closing your restaurants for four hours because those people are like, oh my God, I closed, you know, Pumphrey and Beard last night. Can you believe it? You want people saying that. That's the best advertising. They're like, they let you sit there that long? Yes, and the food was good. And we had lots of drinks. Oh, and that's the type of thing that attracts people to these type of models and why they're so successful in Europe and why the entrepreneurs are still successful, what I would say financially in the long run, is they establish this like long-term relationship with their clients where some of them even do breakfast and dinner in the same day there four to five days a week. Yeah, we do breakfast seven. We do breakfast, brunch, and lunch seven days a week, and only dinner service four. We plan on doing it seven days a week as we can transition. But the way I kind of landed on that business model, or how I got there, so to speak, is I was sitting down and looking at the numbers, and you know, 
every square foot you rent is a dollar amount essentially. And I was looking at it as if the building was a certain amount of square feet, monetarily, how much of it was I utilizing? And um, essentially that number caught up with 6 p.m. And after 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. was my biggest missed opportunity to bring in more revenue essentially. And, you know, naturally I just was like, okay, we could pivot into a dinner service. There's not enough places to eat in Dixon that offer quality food. The majority of them are already on the street if they're quality, but like, so Dixon is like a mix of um, like interstate highway chains right off the interstate that are kind of the big hitters in town because they fund everything and contribute and some of them are corporate some of them are franchise locally owned um but you know it's like colton's and no charlie's and apple applebee's and you know what you're getting there and then um for the longest time in downtown dixon um there it was nothing but antiques and it was never open so people never even bothered to come down here um to even look when they could stay on what i call the strip and know that shoney's is open you know or waffle house is open and they reliably went to the places they knew that they could get service that they didn't have to seek out so for the past two years i've been building that relationship with the community that no matter what i i live so close to the cafe now that i can actually walk so like no matter what rain snow whatever's going on, we stay open. Like to the point to where like my husband takes the car around and picks team members up if they're not comfortable driving. <laughs> but um, that's awesome. We, we stay open, uh, even if it's just for coffee service and no food service so that the community knows they can rely on us to be open. And uh, now we're in the phase of building the relationship that we have a nightlife. Um, we've been trying to do trivia um, I've partnered with a local entrepreneur that um, has pinball. So we've brought some pinball in, which I'm just wild about that concept. Um, I've gotten to talk to the owner of No Quarter and I love his establishment. I like begged him at one point to put pinball in my place. And uh, he, he just is so busy with what he's doing in Nashville that it didn't make sense for him. Yeah, but, they're um, always packed, and so is the other one. There's one up in East Nashville. I can't remember the name, but they're oh, always packed music also. City. Yeah, Music City Pinball. Yeah, Music City um, Pinball. So we've got uh, three pinball machines in there now, so we officially have enough to do leagues and tournaments and uh, just – little different things we can do to attract all age groups. But really what I was trying to create in the evening time is a place where you can go have a nice meal and get an upscale handcrafted drink, but it not feel like a bar. So yeah, that, that was kind of where I am. And if this doesn't work, I will of course pivot and tailor it to what it needs to be, or it might evolve into something different. I, I've had a lot of people be like, what are your projections for this? And are you hitting those numbers? And where is this going? How can you afford to do A, B, and C? And I'm like, yeah, we're not really riding on any hard numbers. If I make labor and I make food costs, I'm really pleased with myself and we're moving forward in that way. <laughs> 
And that's really, I think, when people look outside the business, they want all, like, the financial documents matter, but they're in hindsight. Like, they're just snapshot in reverse. And I know everyone's like, oh, did you hit the numbers? But the reality is, is on a daily basis, you have to manage your margins, which is exactly what you're talking about. And if you manage your margins, the dollars will be there. If you don't manage the margins, they're not. And if you're managing it regularly, you know when to adjust your margins to make sense. And here's the thing, because the ebbs and flows in the food business, it's often opportunity that meets preparedness that leads us to our next venture. It's actually not whether it makes financial sense or not. I know that's hard for everyone to believe in the investment world, but we don't make decisions based on we have a lump sum of money or we're trying to get to a goal. It's really based on we have this idea in our head, we know where we want to go, and when the opportunity is there and we're prepared to take it, we take it. Okay, And sometimes when we're really good, we're going to just create our own opportunities and we're prepared for them. But go ahead, Amanda, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say one of the things I'm most proud about is that I have not bought, brought investors on. I own myself 100%. Um, and I have only taken out one substantial loan. And um, that was something. So like when I was doing the build out for the restaurant, I was looking at bringing in all these investors. It was like every three days I was doing my song and dance and bringing people in and, you know, to the space and it it got down to the to the wire of like we were like four weeks away from opening and contractors were starting to ask me for checks and investors had like you want to talk about how crazy I am I like went forward with a hundred and twenty dollar or a hundred twenty thousand dollar build out with no money to back it up. Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, I was just taking everything the business was making at the time and paying off people one at a time and doing it that way. And then it came time for me to start writing some serious checks and all the investors backed out. I mean, want to talk about one of the worst days I've ever had. Um, and um, then I had a woman in the community who I guess had just been watching me from the sidelines, so to speak. And she was like, I know you probably can't get a loan for the amount that you need without a cosigner. And she's like, I'll cosign for you. And I'm like, well, what's in it for you? And she's like, a bag of coffee whenever I want it. You showing me how to roast eventually? I mean, really nothing. And yeah. just killed me with epic kindness and really saved my tail. Um, <laughs> but um with all the different pushes I've done in my business, I've taken everything that could have been considered a profit or a win and just dumped it back into it. And I know that a lot of people aren't willing to do that as well. Yeah, those are two main points there. One is life works for us. I just to have the person come into your life like that, I think an angel and, and for lack of a better term, um, <laughs> God's work being done. And, um, <laughs> And making sure that the opportunity is there for us and making us and letting us know that that's the opportunity, the right opportunity for us to pursue. There's that there's an affirmation that happens when we align plans. And um, and I'll use that word affirmation because I don't know how else to describe it because I know those moments where it's like all of a sudden it's a hard affirmation that this is the right direction. I am doing the right thing and I am making a difference. And um, and where like my plan, God's plan, what, however, God's plan God family business align. I don't know how else to describe it, but that's one of those moments. 
and for me anyway, from looking as an outsider at your situation. Yep. And um, <laughs> the, um, wow, I'm just blown awake. Um, I know we've taken a lot of time. Can I ask one last question before we get off? Yeah. Um, talk to me, your husband, you've brought him up a lot. Like he's obviously yeah. very supportive. Like talk to me about that relationship, the support, the journey, the hardships, because he's obviously a very, like having this relationship with him is also important, I feel like, in your yeah. journey. And so, and I want other entrepreneurs out there, particularly the ones who aren't in relationships, to understand what a dynamic is you should want in a relationship, because I think you model it. Um, I Obviously, you're not all the time, but, yeah. you know, we're all flawed, but, and I don't want to set a false expectation, but I yeah. do want to think, I do think that it's, like the support that is there and the encouragement is there and the reminder and anchoring is there such as remember when you weren't um you weren't selling anything in the food truck so so my husband is hugely hugely supportive he also happens to be i know everyone says this but my husband was like my best friend for 11 years before we ever got in a romantic relationship and um got married but I think one of the things that works really well for me and my husband is he doesn't try to control me and he doesn't doubt me. I came to him when I was going to open the restaurant and said, I just leased a space and I'm going to spend X amount of dollars and do this crazy thing. And he looked at me and he was like, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he really lets me be who I am. And then the way that he supports me. So um, not to get like, too into our dynamic, but my husband right now holds the fort down financially for our household while I am making this successful and then can contribute. And him and I kind of slingshot each other in our relationship in that way. So when he was going after what he calls his dream job, I was the one working three jobs and holding the fort down till he could get it, get where he wanted to be. And then once he had gotten there, it was my turn essentially. And um, so now he's working all the hours and all the extra jobs. He actually works for me three days a week. He's like actually on the payroll, <laughs> but um, he hugely supports me. And it, he, he just takes anything off my plate that he knows he is capable of doing and does it like he's taken over the farmer's markets. He does all of the coordinating and planning for that and prepping and bagging and bottling. That is all him. Um, I've been teaching him how to roast all of this year. So now he's, he's doing quite a bit of the roasting, um, because I don't have time. I'm like every single day, just so consumed with what's going on in the restaurant that even the thing I'm the most passionate about is kind of not something I get to do quite often. Um, and we, we just work really well together. I don't know how else to explain that to people. Um, we have a really, I, some people could see it as a problem, I guess, but we, we could be not in a good place with each other, but we both put our heads down and we go to work and we get it done. And I would say the biggest thing that I have felt supported in is that he doesn't doubt me and he doesn't question what I want to do and what my future plans on. He only asks how he can help and, um, you know, what the next move is. I've literally never had him tell me no, which might not be a great thing, but 
it's very much lends into who I am as a person. So, well, and I think <laughs> that we often, it's the river thing back to the river thing. I think in, um, yeah, I mean, if he said no, you're probably going to do it anyway. So there's that, but it's, um, <laughs> there's, um, but there is an understanding and there is a support. And the thing about being friends, I think is so important, um, in a relationship. And I think having that friendship, because long after whatever ends the, the, the fireworks and there's life, there's kids, there's ups and downs but at the end you still need to be friends when you're like 80 90 years old and you have nothing left you still need to be friends and have conversations three children (laughs) oh there you go yeah so and all of this craziness so when i had my food truck i used to like put eustace in his car seat and strap him into the front seat of the food truck and he went everywhere with me (laughs) that's crazy that's cool though yeah, so uh, my kids now are 6, 8, and 15, and I'm all boys, and um, they do everything with us. We're definitely, like, I got a lot of criticism during the pandemic because I took my kids with me to the farmer's markets, and, like, they were out there drawing on the ground, you know, sitting on the ground with all the germs, drawing on the sidewalk with sidewalk chalk, and I was just like... What? what else are they supposed to do? <laughs> I grew um, up eating fucking, you don't even want to know what on a farm, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, still so alive. It's, it's uh, very much a family affair. Cool. We're up until recently, my 15-year-old was in the kitchen doing dishes and all kinds of stuff. He's focusing on some other things when it comes to um, kind of his future right now. He, he's very Air Force focused, so we're cool. trying to be supportive in that arena. But, um it's it's very much a family affair and everyone's like how do you have a business and have children and a love life and all of this and it's just like you just do it all together for better or worse yeah it's one common thread sewing the same blanket (laughs) the blanket's all the same like the family the business the god is all one um and if it's all you're chasing that i that's awesome i like the analogy a lot um that you used so we um we're getting close to the next time where I get to slingshot him. He's got an opportunity to round out his degree in horticulture. He works for the park system in Williamson County. He is the foreman over all the Brentwood parks, and he wants to finish his degree in horticulture. So that'll be the next move. As soon as I can get to a point where I contribute financially to the household, he will step back from one or two things, and then he will go pursue his passions again i like this slingshot analogy because i think that that's true as well (laughs) at least from um what i've seen with successful entrepreneurs and couples um particularly when there's two entrepreneurs in the relationship and they're not in the business together um or or in this case they're they have two things they're pursuing but they need to support each other at the same time of pursuing the things that they want individually yeah and so a slingshot is a good example. I didn't think about it that way, but it is. It's almost like I slingshot you, and then when you get stable, you slingshot me past you, and then I slingshot you past me, and so on and so forth. And that is kind of what happens. Um, we carry the loads um, certain times, and it's very equal when the relationships are balanced. So you're a model of it. I, 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 I'm like, seriously, it's so cool. And I think that having your children involved now 
and bringing them along and having those experiences like as someone who also did that not during covid but i was a kid i went to all the horse shows and i was sitting on airplanes and in boardrooms and when my dad was running around the country doing airline business all over the world like you just pick up stuff as kids like we're always listening and our minds are super malleable like at that age and so I would venture that probably going around with you guys being strapped in food truck was better than any nursing or well, not nursing child daycare center education would have given him. You know, like just even though he was young and probably couldn't talk, but the malleability there and the understanding is just so crazy, right? Like I, I know for me it was I was playing in horse stalls while horse business was going on, and my mom was doing lessons and building businesses and traveling all over the country going to horse shows. So. Like, and I think my sister was even younger. Like I remember my sister being strapped in the trucks just the same way or in the horse trailers or, you know, strapped into the front of my mom, like riding on a horse. I'm like, what is going on here as a kid? Like, but we were fully moving as a family, you know, and my dad slingshot at one time and my mom slingshot at another time. But like my dad sat on the board of directors uh, or whatever they trustees of the American Quarter Horse Association because it supported my mom, you know, so. I think that that's probably what we're talking about here. Yeah. And go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say he's just he's very, very supportive. He I some days I feel like, what did I do right to deserve this? (laughs) But I I definitely, you know, kissed a lot of frogs to get to that prince. Yeah, (laughs) I think I think there's a lot of that, too. Yeah. Yeah. I had a domestic violence situation in my past that kind of left me a single mom abruptly um, <laughs> and homeless for a hot second. So that was a yeah, whole so, ordeal. But then also, <laughs> can I ask about that? I mean, not from, yeah. I don't want to get in the details of that situation itself, but I want to talk about it as a pivoting point because you talk about pivot points so much in your life. Yeah. What did that do for you and wanting to take care of your son and as an individual, because I think it, it ultimately drove you to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, when that essentially happened, it is not what I had planned out for my life. I really thought that I was like going to be a wife and a mother and have a pretty ordinary existence. And the person that I was with was the entrepreneur um, that I was kind of on the sidelines supporting. Um But also as an individual, I was pretty wild still at that point in my life. So kind of everything colliding together um, in that great catastrophe, (laughs) um, it it totally changed my life because the moment um, my son was born, um, he is literally the only thing that mattered. (laughs) And everything I did at that point was to make sure he didn't end up like a statistic or um, that he would have a better life. And they're definitely, so the court battle that I had to fight went on for years and um, lost a lot of jobs in that time, but I just never took it too seriously. But I, I was not above any type of work. So like I was busing tables or serving or bartending or cashiering. I sometimes had three jobs and it was just whatever I could do to keep food on the table. Um, And we ended up landing in Chicago um, 
with what happened in our scenario. And um, I gave a good attempt to try to finish my degree. <laughs> and that still didn't happen. Um, and then the universe just kind of took me in a direction to where my husband and I finally got together. But that that great catastrophe definitely, um, I think it in a way saved my life because um, I was living so fast and so hard that I, sh I surely would have been dead, I think. And it wasn't like drugs or alcohol or anything like that. It was just the lifestyle I was in just wasn't viable. Yeah. And I, and I can say that as an entrepreneur, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. It wasn't that I went out and partied all the time or whatever, but I was, I lived, there were times where I lived like hard lifestyles where <clears throat> it's almost like I was and, um, just the mental anguish and stuff like that. So I, I can relate to what you're saying. Um, and I can relate to life suddenly taking an abrupt change. And like, for me, it was 30 years old. Like all of a sudden, like a hammer dropped in my life. It was like, boom, like reevaluate your relationships, reevaluate your lifestyle, reevaluate the way you do business, reevaluate the businesses you're in. And it was just like, whoa, like, why did this happen? It was August 8th, if I remember correctly, like, or maybe second, I can't remember, somewhere around there of 2010. August 2nd is my birthday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> maybe it was August 2nd. It was somewhere around there, but life made a decision for me. Like, God, like, stepped in hard. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I hit a wall. Like, I can't even describe that re- oriented my life and while I still had food service partners and the businesses at the time the way the human that I would become now and the, the things and the hardships that I would choose to go through to grow and deal with family patterns and deal with life I mean I finally just feel like I got a handle on all of it about a few years ago but which is you know a decade later but that's the type of work it takes right it takes that work to figure out who we want to be it takes those life moments it takes the hardships in life or bad things that happen to us when we're kids or as adults to transform us into who we're supposed to be and um i'm sorry that that happened to you obviously no um, worries <laughs> i got my son out of it nice. but i'm also thankful because um in a weird way and that's not that I wish that upon anyone. It's just that it's made you into the entrepreneur that you are and the world needs more of you. And you know, that's the reason I do the podcast. Sorry, I'm starting to cry for some reason. Oh, <laughs> um, but it's why I do the podcast. Um, um, it's for hope. It is because I do believe there are second chances in being an entrepreneur in life and, providing for the people around us, not only our families, but everyone else. And so, um, wow, that really pulled an emotional cord, but I can relate uh, more than you can know. And um, and it's, uh, I thank you, Amanda. That's a really important statement for anyone who's out there in the audience as I pull my tears back in. And um, because uh, life gives us that, and life gives us things that, if we embrace it and we pivot and we look at it as an opportunity or um, don't let it permanently knock us down, um, there's the gift in it. And for the entrepreneur or the future entrepreneur, there's so much purpose and passion and drive that come out of these moments 
that if you really embrace them, uh, you know, because it can go the other way. I think other people turn into alcohol or drugs or go wild on bad situations. But if yeah. you take that energy and you actually focus it a little more on the positivity, just by a little bit of a mindset, and it's hard. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easier that I'm just saying it. It's like, oh, Justin just said it. Like, but it's not that easy. Of course it's not. Nothing in life is easy. Nothing good in life comes without hardship. And, you know, nothing, there's no hacks. Like if you want to, you know, have muscles, like it's not going to, steroids is not going to help in the long run because those muscles are going to go away and you can't be on steroids the rest of your life. I don't know how else to say it in any other way, but the inside's got to change before the outside changes and the muscles. And so that requires hardship. That requires the discipline to go to the gym every day. And that's why muscles are there. It's not the actual, wow, that guy really works really hard. No, what you're missing is the mental fortitude that got him there. And so it's the same as an entrepreneur. What's the mental fortitude that got us to where we are? Everyone sees the money or the victories or now she has a successful business, but it's the mental fortitude that we were willing to endure or life put in front of us or God put in front of us so we become who we are meant to be. Yeah, I I can remember at one point um, in the situation I was going through where I was by all medical accounts pretty done, and I remember thinking to my life or myself that like I want my life so bad, and um, I've I've said that to my teenager a lot lately uh, when I've been trying to motivate him. I'm like, how bad do you want your life? Because even when it comes down to like education, like you happen to live in a first world country where you're entitled to one, but the person that may live overseas that isn't entitled to one, I bet they want it more than you if they're going after it because they want their life. And um, that's the, the only way I can think about explaining it is that like I literally had that moment where I decided I wanted my life more than, more than most things. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. And I talk about the pivoting thing at 30. But for me, it was a, as a very, very young kid that I decided I wasn't going to let anyone like have that power over me or my life. And um, but it was it took me a while to really turn up the volume or understand how important it was. But I agree with you on the thing like there's like we don't value our education. We don't even understand how important it is to get it. And if we miss out on it now and we're having to get it later, it's just such wasted time, which is actually our most valuable resource. It's not money. Like time is the thing that we have. And what we do with our time is actually how we make money. And what you talked about building relationships with our time is how we build value in our lives, which again, the money comes from just doing the right thing when we don't focus on. I know it's hard for everyone to believe in today's world where everything's so money focused and now we get paid the same day we work. It's like, I don't know how to describe it. I wish I could just tell everyone, but it's like, this is 2,000 years, at least in my knowledge. Jesus, the greatest leader that ever lived. We're still talking about his leadership. Forget about the religious part. Like, look at the leadership part. And that's true. Like, the relationships build the value and the profit in life, the monetary stuff, the, the family legacy, the ability to grow the world and actually where we're rewarded is where the things grow out of our efforts long after we're gone. You know, think about Martin Luther King guys, look at the legacy that he's left. We all have the ability to do that. Um, so Amanda, I like 
what you said there um, with your son. I think it just needs to be echoed so badly across the world because we do have education. We do pay so much money in taxes for it. And it um, seems more and more like a wasted commodity. Um, yeah. And I'll refer to it as a commodity because we're almost picking and choosing whether we should use it or not while we're there. Um, even as adults, it's amazing. Companies pay like these guys to go get their MBAs and it's, they cheat their way through school. I'm like, your, your company is paying you to go learn and you're going to cheat your way through school. How do I know you're cheating? Because when you come in to me and interview with me and you're supposed to have an MBA, you don't know the stuff that you're claiming to be taught in school. So oh, wow. how'd you get good grades? You had to have cheated, right? Like, I mean, we're just at a point where everyone cheats in school. And so, like, I know it because I've seen it. And, like, we have to be aware that eventually the smarter entrepreneurs who actually do the work and you come work for people or whatever, people are going to know that you're skimming in life. Why are you taking advantage of that stuff? And I'm just going to call people out because I've just had an incident about it where someone was bragging about it in one of my circles about how they cheated their way through their MBA program. And so it is, and then he proceeds to tell me, which I already knew, I've been in an MBA program, I know how cheating works in school, but like you're only robbing yourself, you're robbing your future, and my last point is this, for me, when I was a kid, the reason I wanted to learn as much as I could, the reason I wanted as much leadership, I didn't actually care as much if I fit in or not, because I wanted to be able to survive on my own no matter what whether it was building a business, whether I needed to provide for my family or protect a family or, or whatever, it just became that mindset. And I think as entrepreneurs, we hit that moment. Um, we're always, I think the seed of entrepreneurism is in us, it's planted in us, but there's a weird moment that pivots us into what you're talking about. So I'm saying it out loud for everyone because when it happens, if you don't catch that lightning in a bottle and realize it's happening sometimes or keep moving forward and try to do things such as Amanda's done, like you miss an opportunity that leads you down the road. I mean, it's what, 12, 15 years later, if your son's 15 years old, look at where yeah. you are, but look at how much you had to go through to get here, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the journey was long. <laughs> it's still long. I still have so much in front of me as far as where I'm trying to go and what I'm trying to accomplish. But um, yeah, I, I probably didn't get serious about anything in this direction until I was about 27. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. That, that was honestly Whole Foods. Whole Foods, I teased that it was my University of Whole Foods degree. <laughs> so uh <-huh. laughs> um, they really set me on this path for sure. Well, and I think it's cool because you have such worldly knowledge of food and worldly view and the cheese and the mixology and all that. So, Amanda, I'm just I'm going to keep going if we keep going and we've been on a very long time. But I'm going to I'll set up a second interview for you uh, because I'd like to keep talking and we have a lot of good values here that I think are important and I want to talk about. Um, so as we leave off, where can they find you online? What's the address of your business? Um and um, is there anything you want to quick to tell the audience um, before we get off? Um, yeah. So as far as where you can find me online, we have a website and it's pumphreyandbeard.com. But um, if you want to know what's going on with us at pumphreyandbeard on Instagram um, is where we post everything we're doing, all the events that we're having. Um, I would encourage everybody to come out 
and have some dinner or some supper on Sundays. Um, we're also really excited. My husband has started hosting trivia um, once a month. It's usually on a Friday evening. Uh, we post about it. And um, one of the other things I'm really excited about that I would love, love, love if some people from Nashville came out here to enjoy with us is we do anime nights every Wednesday at seven. And those are a lot of fun. <laughs> we encourage cosplay and it's just a good time. Uh, so. I know there's a lot of, and there's a lot of that <laughs> in Nashville actually. And yeah. so uh, that's very we're, cool. I like that. Yeah. We're kind of like a, a ship without a country at the moment out here doing some of the things we're doing. And I'm like, I know you exist in Nashville. Come out. Very cool. Uh, yeah. Yes. So yeah. I will definitely let people know because I know I, you know, in some of the circles, like that's very big. Like it's becoming like, I mean, this is the truth. Like everyone was kept up in COVID and we came out of COVID as humans and we have a lot of expression built up inside of us and it needs to go somewhere. So, yeah. you know, after every dark age is a renaissance, for lack of a better term, it's just how do we do it? And we've got some battles to fight in order to get there as humans. Um, but, um, very cool, Amanda. I like this a lot. I love how open-minded you are and I like your business model a lot. And I know to be open-minded really takes a lot of hardship, but, um, very cool. So everyone listening to the audience, if you'd like Amanda's story, please share it. Um, we are on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. Uh, we syndicate through almost all of them. And if you want to reach out to us or have questions for the entrepreneurs, or want me to ask specific questions to specific entrepreneurs who have been on the show when they come back on, uh, please DM us. You can also text the phone number on our Instagram. And thank you, everyone. I love you guys. I love everyone for listening in and the massive amount of support that we're getting from around the world. Um, and I do believe that we are the largest group in the world. Um, we, we see the world very the same as food entrepreneurs. And I think we believe in legacies and we build futures and we have to work the world differently because we work in tangible goods and we have to build relationships around food. And we just happen to see the world a little bit differently. So uh, that's my belief anyway. So thank you guys. And we're out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>